This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. ACME uh, asked me to uh, host what will I'm sure be uh, like a fascinating uh, discussion about this film and I'm sure wider issues that it, that, that it raises. Um, look, I'll, I'll introduce you to uh, everybody here, starting uh, right at the end, Aran Milvaganam. Did I get that right? Milvaganam. Yes, sorry. sorry. Right. <laughs> um, uh, look, he was born in northern Sri Lanka and um, I think at the age of 10 became a refugee within your own country, yes, yep. and spent three years in a refugee camp before making his way uh, to Australia at, at age 13 by yourself, mm. yes, and, and um, spent some time in uh, Villawood before... Uh, successfully, you know, being granted refugee status. He founded the Tamil Refugee Council and is, in fact, oh. their spokesperson. And he's worked with Michael Green here on a project called Behind, Behind the, the Wire. Wire. Is that the yeah. Behind the Wire uh, project? And Michael, I'll move on to Michael Green here. He, he's uh, like a journalist uh, who's been, well, you're a bit of a journalist of, of many subjects, in, but including especially this uh, this issue. And he's gotten um, an exhibition at the moment called They Cannot Take the Sky. Is that the book? That's both. Okay, that's both. Thanks okay. for mentioning okay. the book. At, at, at the Immigration <laughs> Museum. Um, and has uh, done uh, a podcast with Abdul Aziz Mumat, uh, a Sudanese man who's still detained actually on Manus Island, yeah. um, where, of course, like uh, it's a, a very tricky situation right now. Um, Fotus Kapitopoulos uh, was the multicultural media advisor for the former Premier of Victoria, Ted Ballew, and he was the Director of Multicultural Arts Victoria for eight years and established a significant national and international performing and visual arts programs. He is presently director of CAPE. Oh, CAPE. CAPE. Yeah, CAPE. CAPE is actually I wanted to get my Greek pronunciation <laughs> right. I right. sound sophisticated, more no, sophisticated than what right. I actually am. Um, and he was recently involved in an asylum seeker project in Greece. Maybe we can talk about that a bit later. Listen, I, I, want, I want to actually get, get to the audience uh, at, at the end of it. It would be great if um, we could hear your responses and, and questions and maybe even for the panel. But first of all, I'd like to start with you, Aran. Like what, as, as, a, as, a, as a former refugee, like how, how did you respond uh, to this film when you first saw it? Well, not, not just as a former refugee, but uh, also as someone who is working very closely uh, with refugees who come to Australia. Uh, I was able to relate to many of the scenes uh, that were on the film. Um, for example, you know, uh, at the on the towers, uh, these uh, coast guards were receiving uh, phone calls from refugees uh, seeking help uh, to be rescued, um, which is something that frequently happened uh, in um, uh, in Australia. You know, we as part of Tamil Refugee Council. I personally have received uh, distressing phone calls from refugees and then we contact the authorities uh, for, for those refugees to be uh, picked up by uh, naval uh, for forces either in Australia or Indonesia. Um, so I, you know, obviously when I watched the film, all these memories came to my mind. Uh, and then listening to those men sing about where they fled from, you know, I could personally relate to that uh, from my own experience of uh, being caught up in the war, um, 
you know being in, internally displaced in my own country uh, and then coming to Australia as refugee um, so I was able to relate to uh, some of the scenes on the on the film yeah did it hit your guts uh, at, at that moment when you heard heard the calls uh, uh, over the radio like is it uh, is it something that you recall as, as an emotional experience or do you immediately get into like okay you know work mode this is this is this is serious initially you know when i hear those um, uh, phone calls some of the some of the, uh, the the distressing things that happened uh, while refugees uh, uh, you know, try to come to Australia came to my mind. For example, you know, on 23rd of July in 2013, um, a group of refugees came from uh, Indonesia to Australia, and these were young families, um, largely Tamils from northern Sri Lanka, and their engine failed, um, and, uh, you know, they... Uh, they tried to go back to the shore by ha- wearing the uh, lifers and they were holding on to their children uh, in their hand and tried to go to the shore and major- most of the children died as a result of it. Uh, those those stories came to my mind, you know, it, it became quite um, emotional for me. Uh, Foltus, like it's, uh, it, it seems there's, there's a lot of differences in, in the experience of this film. Like one... You know the fact that the filmmaker was actually able to get you know yeah. access to, to to this this kind of story um, just just can't happen here. Um, but the other thing that that, that seemed um, apparent, and you've spoken, mm-hmm. we were just speaking before about this, um, is is there a, a profound difference in in attitude uh, by uh, authorities and 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 people themselves? Yes, in probably Europe. probably yeah. in attitude. I mean, I guess I have to p- create some context here. I mean. A lot of things in the film reminded me of being a child in Greece between 67 and 70. I was that little chubby kid running around with a slingshot in summer in parts and the terrain and the people and everything. So the grandmother, so felt felt that. But I think what resonated for me was, if not the humanitarianism of it, the humanity of it, the, every, the notion of the poor souls. And that's something particularly resonates. I mean, you talk about the Nigerian song. To me, I think that's the kernel of the Odyssey, of the Mahabharata, of the Gilgamesh. These are the stories that have been told, for, you know, the notion of refuge from the Exodus onwards even. It, and it's part of Lollapalooza. I mean, um, uh, it, it's interesting that the island itself is part of the Mediterranean basin. So many of the people that are seeking refuge look no different to the people living on the island in many ways. They are they are part of an island that was once Greek and then Phoenician and then Arabic and then Bourbon and, and so on and so on. So I think, I think while not having a formal multicultural policy or a formal policy, as best they can, they try to be human beings, if not humane. And the faces they see are, are their faces. That, that resonated for me. Yeah, and, and, you know, the stories that are, I guess... Interesting, the filmmaker I was reading about it, he says, you know, the greatest refugee crisis in Second World War. And I'd say, I guess, in many ways, humanity is a process of refugee crises. Mm. Whether it's two million Greeks seeking refuge from Turkey in 1921 or, or whatever the case is, we are part of a refugee process ourselves, whether it's the refuse of Britain coming here. You know what I mean? It's, I guess, I, I mean, 
I was born here, but if it wasn't for the devastation of a Europe, I wouldn't be here, I suspect. I mean, you know, uh, there's no reason why you, Greece would empty. I mean, even Italy and Greece now, interestingly, Greece has lost, just, you know, most of the middle class has migrated again, different to the working class in the old days. Most of the middle class of Greece has migrated. Now, my, uh, I guess on a broader level, I would like to see those countries use work with these people as an asset rather than problematize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, really find a solution to both those economies through the refugees. Mm-hmm. And I think they may. Some interesting things happening there. Mm. Yes, it's like, uh, I'm not sure, I'm sure the filmmaker didn't intend it, but to be like a, a mirror to us here, <laughs> like, uh, but just, just by, by, by depicting the way in which you know that story unfolds there, the, the, mm. both in terms of like the, the approach of the authorities and and, and, well, and ordinary people. Just very briefly, mm. before, no, mm. uh, very briefly, um, yeah. both Lesbos and, and this island have been people in there have been nominated for Nobel Peace Prizes. Yes, that's interesting. Uh, the grandmothers or the yayadas of Lesbos mm. started to feed the babies of refugee women, regardless of the fact that the authorities under EU restrictions were told not to assist them. The grandmother said, look, forget this. What are you talking about? We're not going to assist them there. You know, so it's kind of interesting in many ways. Mm. And, and turned around and dismissed it as being ridiculous. Or just oh, they, well, they like, just like said, human beings. You well, know, they basically like, said, in like, like, you can't tell us what to do. We're yeah. grandmothers. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so that was the response. Yeah, yeah. And the fishermen looking out for mm. saving people regardless. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah. It was interesting. I read a um, thing with the filmmaker where he was saying that a few years ago, that was happening in mm. Lampedusa as well. People were coming to, to mm. land there, but mm. now the border is in the sea. That's um, right. People don't make it to land anymore. And I think no. that's part of why these sort of parallel stories exist uh, in that film. Um, I and agree. the characters we get to know um, uh, from Lampedusa don't interact with no. the migrants. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Now you had mixed feelings about this film. Do you want to <laughs> yeah, d- yeah. discuss? Yeah, I feel what like I'm the unpopular one on this panel. Like, so I loved, I really loved the film, um, but I um, had some misgivings about the representation of the migrants, and I felt like, um, with the exception of that extraordinary scene um, with the Nigerians chanting, um, that uh, the filmmaker didn't. Um, you didn't get to know the migrants as, as people um, and, and, and you really just saw them as kind of an undifferentiated mass of, of suffering. And, I, and I, I felt particularly uncomfortable with um, the, um, the boy who was shown his, his corpse uh, on the, the doctor's mm. screen and, and uh, that, that powerful scene with the boat at the end. And I, like I have mixed feelings about it because I can see how powerful they are, but, um, you know, those people didn't, uh, uh, don't have a, any chance to exercise any um, agency at that point. They have to do, they have to do what they're told, and they didn't have any any say on whether they would be in this film. And I, um, in working on the behind the wire stuff, um, I was reading a bit of Susan Sontag's writing about um, photography and war photography, particularly, and and she talks um, about how the other is often represented as someone to be seen um, and who don't see themselves. And I feel like in this, in this film, the migrants that you, we see them, but, but they're not sort of the filmmaker didn't make this film with the idea that any of these migrants could ever see it, you know, like it would be a really distressing thing. I think for some of those people to, to watch that back or the family indeed of that boy, um, 
yeah so I, I kind of I feel yeah I have some mixed emotions about that and I, I feel like that's the sort of imagery that we often see in many different ways from NGOs or from war reporting or reporting on this issue um, and and one thing that you could have done with this film with, without too much extra effort was to, to um, tell me more about that Nigerian man who was chanting. I want to know what happened to him the next day. And I, and I think that he could have, have added that and it would have, it would have added a dimension that changes um, the refugee crisis from just like hordes of, of mm. people coming mm. to, you know, to people who have their own complex interior lives and, 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 and are experiencing many different things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, clearly there was obviously an emphasis on the the European, the Lapidusan experience of the problem, and in particular the, the, the young boy, and it was a very directorial, very obvious directorial decision. It wasn't... It wasn't yeah. It, so, it yeah. wasn't out of... It wasn't out of, like, he, he didn't have access. He, mm. he, he was able to... Uh, yeah, and I, and I guess what he's representing is what, it, what he, he perhaps feels like it is the issue for, for Europe and that they, we, they perhaps don't get to know these people as people. I, yeah. No, I, I, I like what you've said because of rethinking it. I think there are some problems, problems, I think that's not the right term, issues, and one is the notion of Europe, hmm. okay? And I think that's a critical issue here and, and I think we have to think about this. I mean, there's the other Europe of Hungary and Poland, which only yesterday said we're never going to take any refugees, regardless of EU sanctions. There's the other Anglo-Germanic Europe. And then there's this Europe. And I think what you may have highlighted, rather than just the auteur's notion of who they are, is the, the dysfunction of the concept of Europe. And I think that's where the critical issue lies. And in many ways belies the crisis in Southeast Europe right now. The notion that Greeks somehow Europeanized because of a national project 150 years ago, or that Italians became Italians because of a national project 150 years ago, is a myth. So the myth of Europe is untangling. Mm -hmm. And maybe uh, Lapidusans, Southern Italians, mm. s Greeks could feel, as Sarkozy was once suggesting, feel more comfortable going back to their Orientalisms, to their notions of the East, mm. uh, rather than problematizing these people, and I think you've highlighted very well, I didn't see it like that, uh, is a bit like what I was saying before. Is like, let's see what we can do with these people as Greeks, mm -hmm. as Italians. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, there's currently 65,000 in Greece and another 70,000 in Italy of the recent migration, only the last year or so. Uh, the rest of Europe has only taken 6,000 of mm -hmm. them. Uh, and they're saying to Greece and Italy, well, you deal with it. And Greece and Italy are saying, we just can't let people drown. You know, we, and these are economies that are on the brink, well, Italy not so, but almost on the brink of collapse banking-wise, and Greece very much in the, well, past the abyss of collapse, <laughs> right? So, and I think their thinking belies the fact, which is a kind of a longer problem, which is a French, German, and British view of what Greeks and Italians should be, based on what they found were bleached statues once rather than Indian or Arabesque-type statues that they had, you know, like mm. this mythology. So if Greeks and, and Southern Italians and Southern Spaniards said, look, let's, let's embrace the caliphate, let's embrace the East like we did once and create a new economic, social template rather than feeling like Europeans desperately trying to do something. Mm. Michael, would it have made a difference to you if you heard that the filmmaker, you know, 
after filming, you know, went to everybody and said, listen, uh, obviously didn't get a chance to chat before as you were coming in, um, uh, but, you know, do you mind? Uh, we don't know if the filmmaker did, did do this, but um, uh, would, that have made, would that make a difference for you? Yeah, if, I think if, so, uh, yeah. He asked for, for permission, sure. if, yeah. you know. Around you, you, what's your perspective on that? Well, I, you know, these people are in the middle of a crisis and uh, they're facing all sorts of injustice. They fled injustice and they're facing injustice as well. Um, if I was in that situation, and I, I've been in that situation in the past, for me, it's not my permission to tell my story that's important. It's about getting that opportunity to tell the story. Mm. You know, there are so many people around the world um, who always feel like they're forgotten by the, the rest of the world. And, and you know, if I was in their situation, I would just be happy that my story is being heard. Mm. Um, and I'm, I will be, you know, I'm, I wouldn't be disturbed by the fact that, you know, nobody really sought my uh, permission. Yeah. So the other the other thing that I think about it as well on top of that is that you could very easily um, watch that film and say, well, Australia's policy is the right policy because we need to stop the boats because if you don't stop boats, great horrors will occur. No, I, I I think I think you're uh, misinterpreting it, uh, Michael. Um, I think when people look at it, people will realize the need to stop you know, uh, realize the need to discourage people from getting on the boards, uh, but not necessarily agree with Australia's policy uh, towards refugees of uh, sending, you know, towing boats back. You know, so, yeah. you know, Australia's policy is towing the boats back to where they came from, whereas, you know, we don't want people to get on, you know, get on these dangerous journeys. And, and the way we do it is, um, by making the the situation where they flee from better, and maybe have more coast guards on high seas, um, you know, rescuing people uh, so that they don't drown. Mm. You know, that's not what Australia's policy is. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm being a bit of a, I, I <laughs> guess of a pain, but I'm uh, sorry. Um, so it's just the same as like with a with a photo of a war that can be used to say war is terrible, or it can be used to say we need to intervene here and. Um, ratchet up the war um, and for me the the um, the deciding factor is, is is if you get to know those people um, as human and complex and and to understand the situation that they're in more and I yeah as I've said before I feel like it was lacking a little in this I guess just just very interestingly about those both those things and there was a period in Australia where both political parties the two major parties had a very bipartisan policy on refugees and immigration Sadly, that disappeared from 1997 onwards. Um, and Malcolm Fraser uh, was once told by the departmental secretary they should have detention camps. And quickly, Malcolm Fraser said, I'll dispense you to the gulag. And he said <laughs> lots of other words that I'm not going to say now. I think saving people at sea is absolutely imperative, but also a real understanding that this is a regional issue. Like the responsibility is as weighty on Turkey and Indonesia mm. as it is on Italy and Greece, mm. as it is on Australia, as it is in Indonesia and Malaysia and others. And I think targeting illegal arrivals or irregular arrivals, I prefer to say, is just really a lack of leadership. Mm. It is an absolute... And it's neither to do with left or right because I'm absolutely... It's abysmal that the Labor Party itself 
has consistently towed this line. And in fact, it was Jerry Hand who instigated detention camps. So I think we have to be very clear and say refugee issue is a human issue. Mm. And I, I think we all agree on this. <laughs> one. But it's a human issue that, again, it goes back to the basic principle of that doctor. What are you going to do, the human beings? You know what I mean? Like, it, it really has to be that simple of we can't allow people to die in the sea, but we cannot treat people like in Manus Island uh, as prisoners. They're not prisoners. <laughs> They're just not that. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm just going to get upset. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hearing, starting to hear sort of like murmurs and coming from the audience. <laughs> yeah, stop us any, talking. Has anyone got a, um, a question or an observation on... I think it's halfway between a question and an observation. Um, I think one of the provocative things that Rossi does is, and it was related to what you were saying, Michael, uh, conceptualising uh, as groups of people rather than as individuals. And to me that strikes me as something that he's doing not just about the refugees but also about the, the Lampedusa community. And the figure of Samuele is actually, I think, meant to stand in for... Um, a kind of representative figure of his generation and the idea that the Lampedusan fishermen are sort of either a dying breed or um, morphing into something else. Mm -hmm. And I think the way he sets that up with the, um, the figures of the refugees um, is sort of deliberately meant to work as a provocation, as a way of um, instigating our imagination to fill in the gaps, which is why he kind of, uh, I think, shifts between the two different stories and the way he does with uh, these kinds of um, ellipses that we don't necessarily have an answer or an explanation for. It's kind of like when he leaves the film, there's a kind of whole other narrative or a whole other set of questions that get generated that ask us to kind of fill in after the film finishes. Mm. So I don't know if that's a question, but, I mean, what do you think about that? Well, um, uh, from a filmmaker's uh, you know, point of view, um, uh, like I think he's gone into the film and has has a lot of expectation from the audience that they're very quite familiar with the yeah. with the story, yeah. are quite yeah. probably involved in it. Even you don't sort of like, hey, let's go out and see that you know film about the refugees suffering. Yeah. You know, um, uh, it's a bit like you guys, right? Yeah. Um, uh, that's this film's audience, and it and it's very it's very art house as well. It's you know long shots and you know locked off frames and and all of that. And I I mean I actually when I started to watch it, I think like who's this who's this film for? You know, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> you know that that's sort of like the activist mm, filmmaker mm. part of me is just like well who are we trying to reach with this? And I'm a little bit like Michael. I like you know my first impulse is is to you know tell it from. The perspective of, of the people who are ultimately the subject of this tragedy, um, uh, but I remain a bit ambiguous. I, I think he has succeeded in in something. I think through uh, part of its sheer luck, I think, but but also just well, time, actually, right? Time and time, but just just the, the, the Samuel is just he, he is an incredible character. Mm. I mean, he goes. You know, and it's not set up. He he starts to go partially blind. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. he's blind, and and it's such a metaphor for I'm sure people in Australia and 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 in Europe we are partially mm. blind to the situation. He has this mm, like yeah. un unresolved anxiety. He doesn't know what's there. He doesn't know how to put a name to it. Even right. he, he doesn't. In fact, he he pinpoints it as something else than what it actually is. And then being you know sucked 
you know, because he just doesn't have the skills to find his way out of it, sucked into the prows of like those, the, the rescue ships. He's like involved in it anyway. His mm-hmm. boat's sort of like, and, and I was just like, oh my God, you know, like, you know, <laughs> how do you invent that sort of stuff? So um, I think that, and I think obviously, you know, to win the, the grand prize at, you know, mm. Berlin in its first outing at the, the Berlin Film Festival. Uh, obviously, has is struck a chord. We need, you know, a, a film like this that that works on, on on multiple layers, and I I think it's a really really interesting film. There's my observation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to sort of contribute my two cents as someone who I found it the most one of the most powerful films I've ever seen. Um, and I think it was brilliant in the way that it contrasted just the fact of this of life going on, and life just continues to go on these quotidian moments that allow an everyday audience to enter into it with just these sort of um, snippets of life that seem totally, that, that you can't really relate to as someone who hasn't gone through it, but just giving them these punches of what it's like as someone who's just fleeing complete, um, you know, oppression. Um, those, just getting those snippets of that made it, it had such a much more powerful effect on me. And then seeing the story of Samuel too, this kid who then is suddenly, you know, showing how he's a human with this, you know, frailty, this weakness. Um, and then just watching that very human story of, 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 of something that anyone can relate to, you know, and why his story is almost just as important as these other people. Or it's, it's just, um, I don't know, it's just as valid. It's another human story that's happening that everyone can... I don't the way it's I don't know it, it, for me it captured this Im- immense sort of experience of humanity um, through and and, and it's sh- through showing that immigrant experience and then this you know coming of age story too anyway I just wanted to say that <laughs> in defense of the film um I'm just going to say that the response to the film that you made just then was very made sense this is the second time that I've seen the film the first time was before I went and worked in Lesbos with refugees and he also have been back now, I think, 36 hours. And so I've seen it the second time. The analogy that you make about the child is very interesting and spot on. The first time I found him really irritating, but yes, it comes together. The other point about wanting to know the story more about the refugees, you really can't film that very easily when you're in that situation. It's really just grabbing bodies and getting them on the boat. It's very hard lifting them in. It's very hard getting people in. You do a triage, you do a body count, you just do a head count and you're really working very fast. Can you explain what you were doing there? I was working with uh, Lighthouse Refugee um, Relief on Lesbos, not really with, um, not physically with the bodies but with people who had just rescued them with Proactiva, with Frontex, with the Hollandic Coast Guard mm. and another Northern Irish organisation, Refugee Rescue, whose boat's Makara, mm. which means in Gaelic, you're welcome. Mm. Uh, these young kids of late 20s, early 30s are amazing, as are the people on Lesvos who are remarkable, and I know those yalyas and fishermen, yeah, yeah. and they are just so good to know them they just get on and do it and they just said we're all vulnerable to the sea Mm. and
and the they're very welcoming to people. They're just so kind to those Syrians who are already almost through with their paperwork. Our job at Lighthouse is to just greet people, to give them water. Sometimes they arrive in the night. Sometimes they're soaking wet. We have to get those blankets on them and things. But it is a process. In some ways, it seems very ritual. You have to wait there for the Hellenic Coast Guard who will give you directions to take them to Moira Camp. You cannot move anyone because you are then part of smuggling to move them. So you really work very closely with Frontex and with the Hellenic Coast Guard, but truly it was done humanely and Australia could do a humane effort. The fact that they're saying that they've turned back the boats they just turned back the boats from Indonesia to Australia. Those same demographies are coming now through Turkey. All they've done is made their job more difficult and put the onus on other countries, especially Turkey and Greece. And Australia and the European Union just have to step up and create. We've had migrants for centuries. This is not new. You've we can deal here. with it. <laughs> There's a few of us here. That's right. <laughs> we can deal there. with it. We That's can... Right. We can do better than that. We can deal with it. And we have to deal with it. So good that the film was made. It was excellent. Good seeing it the second time around. And thank you all for making it possible. Fortis, you wanted to say something? Oh, no, I tend to agree with that. I I think what the gentleman said there, and and I agree with what you guys say, but I I mean, not agreeing with everything, but... I think it's the hum- the humanness of it, like I said, is important rather than, hum- you know, the everydayness. And again, we're talking about peripheral parts of Europe which are at the brink of collapse. You know, even the filmmaker talks about the the the, the dissolution of Europe. But I guess he, he also lived with a dream of a European Union. Where, But if you look from as a diaspora outside Europe, like as a Greek-Australian who sees Europe as something else and Greece as something else, uh, you could see that it was a failed project from the beginning. I mean, um, yes, I think it says a lot about Europe as much as it says about refugees. It says a lot about the dysfunction of Europe and the cultural bigotry between North, South and East. Not, not different to Asia, I suspect, you know, if you're talking about mm. Sri Lanka or if you're talking about North India and South and all these other... Uh, but Australia, I think, is... Um, we should be ashamed, essentially. I'm not as people, but the governments of Australia should be ashamed since 1997 because regardless of people's ambivalence towards refugees, and I don't care where, they, where people are, people have an ambivalence maybe, it's leadership which breaks through that. Yeah. And we haven't had that since 97. So. Well, I'm, you know... Uh Oh, sorry, there's a person here with a microphone sitting in the shadows. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, I'm just wondering, like, I think most of the people here would probably be um, supportive of the film and the concepts that it's um, espousing. So it's almost like the film will only speak to the converted. And I have um, friends... (laughs) bless their little cotton socks, um, who are very anti-refugee. And for me, I wonder, and I'd like your opinion on this, it it might be my naivety, but in some respects 
I think that um, refugees are almost put forward by the government as a smokescreen for the economic challenges that they won't actually deal with. So if I talk to my friends who are anti-refugee and say, well, what do you want? You know, they want a stable job. They want a decent income. They want affordable housing. And they can see that, oh, well, spending money on refugees is to blame for that. Um, It isn't. But I think it serves the government um, to allow people to think that. And how do we change that narrative for those people and uh, reach them with, with the heart of the message um, of this film? From government, I used to be in government once. I've worked for the Labor and Liberal Party, regardless of my son calling me a traitor. Uh, um, and I could say as former advisor to Ted Bayou, it's not people that need to change. It's certain ideologues within the Labor and the Liberal Party, hard right ideologues, and I, I can say it now, I don't have to worry. Maybe I shouldn't say too much. No, um, There are certain views in those parties which conspire against openness. Uh, you may have some traditional views in the Labor Party which are fixated with um, uh, control of the economy, anti-liberal attitudes towards the economy. You equally have some views in the Liberal Party which are more aligned with Anglo-centric views of conservatism. People don't need to change that much. People change on their own. As you know, There was a period in time, I'm 55, when people thought that Vietnamese were going to destroy Australia through heroin and other things. They didn't. We're used to it. People are all married. We're all living a really reasonable life. It's government that needs to make a clear decision and tell people it's our moral and human responsibility to deal with these issues in a humane way. It's regardless of what people think. Do you think, though, that um, I agree that there is no leadership and being as there is no leadership and politicians seem to flim-flam um, on the basis of what gains them the most popularity, that we can actually govern from underneath and, and as a populace... Um, if the majority of people protest and basically threaten... I don't believe that that will change. Uh, uh, Look, you saw, for example, from a political... Again, I speak as an operative. I don't speak Mm. now as a... uh, From an operative's perspective, uh, we saw when uh, the current Prime Minister was elected, he had a 70% majority support. Most Australians, most Australians are fairly... range between accepting and tolerant... Australians by nature are fairly lazy racists. You're not going to have Golden Dawn running through burning gypsy villages. Uh, you're not going to have the hard right from Romania. You know, you're not going to have as much. Well, you're going to have some of it, but not as much. Um, I think it's really something that needs to be within a policy framework. Both parties need to get back to where they were, which is a broad acceptance of multiculturalism, diversity, and a humane response to refugee crises. I mean, what the Labor Party did recently with that ad belies to me that wasn't an accident. That was an operative position to say, let's ramp up the 457 visa fear amongst white, lower middle class people. Fears are real. I mean, fear, people have real fears, but they're not real. Refugees and immigrants make the economy better, <laughs> generally, historically. That's why we're here and we're doing so well. Uh, that's why America's doing so well. The fact that Trump is in is not because working class people were scared. It's because things got better 
And once things get better under Obama, then they freak out about, oh my God, I want more. It's, it's an interesting politics, an interesting game. Yeah, we think but it's you're, populist. You're but basically it's, saying that we need a, both sides of government or the political terrain who are actually seemingly going more fear based. Um, we need them to change, and they're not. So, what is your view on how we, the people, start to steer our country in a I more think, humanitarian I direction? I don't think there's a people per se. I think go on, you talk. Sorry, can I just intervene and, and say that um, you're never going to get leadership from politicians. Politicians are not leaders. They, they're followers. Yeah. Uh, they follow, um, you know, the, the grassroots movements. Uh, like if the grassroots movements are really strong, they will follow it. Let them stay campaign last year, ensured 267 refugees were not taken to Nauru. And I think, you know, occasionally the refugee movement have seen uh, small wins, hasn't lasted long, but we have seen wins on the back of um, uh, grassroots campaigns. So what's going to see uh, change in the refugee policy is not uh, politicians realising that they need to uh, be uh, welcoming refugees, rather... Um, you know, Australian people uh, getting onto the streets, talking to, uh, you know, uh, your friends and family members about, uh, you know, why refugees are here and, and what we're doing to refugees is what's going to bring change. Um, and if you're at a loose end, you could always go down to the Immigration Museum with uh, one of your friends. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, try, try and create, you know, try and uh, bust the myths. You know, when it comes to, um, you know, refugees going to take That's my right. jobs, you know, try and create the myth, uh, try and um, bu bust the myths. Uh, if you find it really hard, like Michael said, take them to the Immigration Museum and, and you know, ask Show them it. to yeah. listen to those stories uh, at um, the Immigration Museum. And um, there's also a great podcast called The Messenger, which you could um, <laughs> get them on to, and a, and a really fantastic book called They Cannot Take the Sky. Yeah. I, I think that should happen. I'm not suggesting it doesn't happen. But I disagree that politicians don't lead. There have been great politicians that have always led. Whitlam was a great leader. Fraser was an incredible leader. Keating was a phenomenal leader. I mean, Hawke, I remember when the Chinese were being killed in Tiananmen Square, within one night decided, regardless of the populist feeling, to say all 15,000 Chinese are now citizens. I think people, you know, in ancient democracy, there wasn't just a case, whenever, the ancient Greeks were very scared of populist movements. You need to have people that lead. I mean, and a lot of these people in government, and I can say again, a lot of them are very opposed to these current policies, but yet there's a, part, a particular coitry of hard right that are driving this forward. You know, it's a, it's a new movement. It's a movement, very much a real movement inside the parties. Um, I also want to just ask the panel what you guys think about the media's role in this too, because I feel like they play a huge role. And I feel like there's a lot of language from the Howard government that's really pervasive still in terms of this apparent line and illegals, whereas, you know, by international law, it's not illegal to seek refuge. But these are the arguments I get from a lot of my friends and family. One of the, in one of the really powerful stories in the book and also in the exhibition. Um, there's a there's a journalist, I'm, you may have heard of him, Baruz <coughs> Bichani, who's on Manus Island. And the start of, um, of his story um, that I worked with him on, he says, 
to his mind, he thinks that people can't understand the situation in journalistic language or legal language. Um, people won't, it won't make a difference. Um, and he thinks that literary language and I, and I, I suspect a film like this and, and he's got a film that's playing here next month called um, Choka, Please Tell Us the Time, mm. which is, a, I mean, we've, I've seen the first 20 minutes of it only, but it's an extraordinary film that he shot from inside detention. Mm. Um, and so from, to his mind, language is incredibly important and he re- refuses to say, he won't say camp, for example, mm. when he talks about Manus Island Detention Centre, um, he will always say prison. Um, mm. And he, and he um, similar, like all of those words, he's very careful about it and he um, thinks that that's, an incredibly important part of the way people understand the policy and the situation, and and it's it's very clear you can you can uh, map the trajectory of the changing yeah. language, and it it, oh, yeah. it becomes less and less human um, all the way through, and it's it's deliberate. It's clear that's what the government's trying to do. It's a very deliberate thing. It's a very deliberate. I remember when Ted Bailey once made a speech for Paris Aristotle, and Ted Bailey actually had a very good speech that he writes sort of, uh, which uh, highlighted in his own words the fact that he comes from irregular or what is now termed illegal refugee background. His great-great-father jumped ship, swam onto Philip Harbour and as a refugee. Uh, He was a religious refugee from parts of what was in Belgium, etc. And I think, and that caused uh, ruffles in parts of the party. And, and you can see he's not there anymore as a premier. I mean, again, I really don't think people are more or less racist. I think it really is about leadership. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, again, I heart back to the current prime minister. You come in at 70% approval rating, you can really change the whole dynamic. You know, there was an attack in Sydney at that time and he went to a mosque instead of going like, like Abbott with sort of police. The narrative was changing, but internally it's problematic. And I I think, yes, you can do whatever you like, but unless we start writing really serious centrist perspectives and also for the refugee issue not to be a prisoner of the left either. If you really can't build consensus amongst conservatives that's part of their core human values, then you've lost. If if it's a prisoner of the left, the, the game's lost already. It's absolutely gone. Unless you can tell those people that are scared, like my Uncle George once, who I loved deeply, who was always worried about originals and single mothers. I, mean, I don't think he ever met one. And once he did, it wasn't that nasty anyway. But it was in his mindset. But yeah, he was a migrant. He was a refugee, whether you call it migrant or whatever. He created. People have fears. That's fine. But it's leadership which breaks that. And it's the fact that when they see people actively working as citizens and enjoying creating economy, children, life, Things are better. Can I just make mine's a very short comment? Uh, I'm no film critic, but I came here today and and witnessed that film, and the overall impression I get uh, is that people living a simple lifestyle are much more attuned to the needs of other humans than the affluent one in which we imbibe. And I believe that that is very influential on our attitudes to refugees. What am I going to lose, not what can we do best for all? Mm-hmm. And I've, I really think that's one of the very difficult things here. And the other thing is in terms of politics, I believe, it's become so adversarial mm. that nobody knows what anyone believes except that it's the opposite to what mm. the other party says. Yeah, that's a problem. 
That's true. Very well done. No, thank Listen, you. That's true. Listen, I, 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 um, I would like to uh, take the opportunity of being with you know three people who have thought a lot about this Too issue. Much. In fact, <laughs> devoting their lives to it. In fact, um, uh, if you could each you know briefly uh, give us something. Obviously, we're it's a bit of you know potentially preaching to the converted with this audience. But can you give us something you know to take, come, going out of this cinema that we can we can empower ourselves and empower others to, to, to bring about change that's so, that's so necessary with this with I'd like to, to defer to Aaron. And basically give us something to walk out of this cinema that, that pumps us up to sort of like, you know, uh, bring about change, whether it's, you know, talking to mm. a, 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 a recalcitrant friend, um, taking them along to your, <laughs> your fantastic yeah, exhibition, done, for example. I think I've already okay. used up my... Um, mm. my no, you can you can be so un overwhelmed, you know, yeah. by, by this thing, and it'd be good to. You've thought a lot about this, so I, I'm yeah. Interested in well, so insights. I, I mean, one of the really amazing things working on this project for the last three years has been meeting lots of people and speaking to them and having really like beautiful conversations. Um, and I like often lots of people c come to me and say, "Oh, well, aren't you just?" doesn't does, don't you find it really distressing and you know you're getting burnt out and things like that but I don't feel that at all in fact I feel kind of really energized by it and I feel really lucky to be working on it and lucky to have met all the people that I've met um and I I think that that sort of sense of connection with other people is one of the most beautiful things that there is about being a human and um and I think that um that's kind of been the guiding light for the, the all the behind the wire projects, and and I think that it comes through really strongly. And we actually have had some people come to us and say that they they put the podcast, they made a friend listen to it who was opposed to the to uh, who supported the Australian government's policies, and they now are volunteering with the ASRC. Wow. Um, um, so I think actually um, getting to know people volunteering there's many different organizations you can get in touch with if you if you feel like you know motivated having come out of this film um find out more if you find out more then you have things to say uh, when you have these conversations and i guess it's it is hard but but i think that's a place to start to speak to people about it yeah, I'll, I'll say um it's really frustrating uh to see politicians um, even today, Peter Dutton mm. made a claim about the 7,500 refugees uh, who haven't uh, made their application for asylum yet. Mm. Um, and the, and the and the you know the way he delivered that message, you know, he was trying to uh, say that uh, these refugees are living on uh, Centrelink payments um, and uh, and haven't made their applications, which is false claim yeah. uh, but he gets away with it quite easily you know he made another claim uh, that these refugees haven't provided their identity documents you know when they are in detention centers and when they get released into the community they go through so much identity check uh, before they get released but you know peter Dutton makes comes up with all these lies and he gets away with it quite easily because you know, we have no idea what's going on uh, in those. Um, you know, to, to, you know, to the way we, uh, way our government is treating the refugees. A couple of years ago, I was involved in a case. A refugee mother who came to Australia um, just a couple of weeks after uh, the husband made 
his way to Australia. And because the laws changed after the husband came into Australia, the mother and the and the the son was taken to Nauru Detention Centre. And on Nauru, uh, the mother attempted suicide um, once, and uh, she was brought to Australia. The husband was not told of uh, where she was being kept, but she was brought to Australia for treatment. When the husband found out and went to the university hospital in Queensland, the the immigration uh, guards gave her sleeping tablets and while she was drowsy, they took her back to Nauru Detention Centre um, and the husband was not told about it. You know, this is how cruel we are. You know, we're, we're destroying so many human lives in order to stop the boards. You know, we... We're behaving like the perpetrators these refugees fled from. You know, there's another refugee who was initially involved in the Behind the Wire project, but then um, because of fears, uh, uh, she uh, chose to not be part of it, uh, fear of our government. Um, And this woman was raped on Nauru by the the security guards. You know, so much horror is going um, in Australian-run detention centres. So much fear is inflicted on the 30,000 refugees who are living on bridging visas in the Australian community. Mm-hmm. We as people need to do something about it. And I know you're all, um, you know, I'm speaking to the converted, I'm speaking to uh, the people that who knows about all this, Um I hope that you'll be more involved uh, in the refugee movement. I don't believe that our politicians will ever uh, change uh, or bring the change that we need unless uh, we uh, speak out uh, for it. Uh, So, you know, it is going to take a large, strong refugee movement to um, bring the change and, and I hope you'll be more involved in the refugee movement. I think I speak to the unconverted generally. I tend to speak to those that are not converted at all most of the time, especially when I was in politics. And uh, when you highlight to them that someone like uh, um, some of our greatest scientists were refugees and uh, that aspiration and success... If someone is entrepreneurial enough and risk-taking enough to suffer the degradation of tra- of human traffickers and rough seas, God, what they can do for Australia, you know, and 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 that's, and I think that changes the narrative. And I agree with you. I don't disagree with you at all. But I think it's very important to have both those lines going concurrently. I mean. I was thinking, what what is it about? Because I, I go to Greece and I hear stuff and, you know, the foreigners, the foreigners, the foreigners. And at the same time, I see some other great things people are doing. But I think of one thing. My son's 15 years old and I asked him, who's your favourite basketball player? Because he's insane about basketball, something I don't really know much about. And he said to me, it's Yanis Antekomfu. And I said, who's Yanis Antekomfu? Well, he's a Greek dad. Well, he is Greek. He's actually a Nigerian 
a Greek of Nigerian background, born of a refugee family, who's now a leading NBA star. I think these things make differences to people. And, I, and while you don't think politicians change, again, I disagree. I think politicians do change. And I think what happens there with a the media narrative, what happens with social media is very powerful. I think the fear, as Jung used to say, the great shadow when he talked about Nazism, the fear is what you have to consistently pulverise and by saying, if you want to suffer unemployment and a reduction in your economic standards, stop refugees. <laughs> if you actually want your world to collapse, then stop refugees from coming in. That's what will happen. Uh, one wide Australia policy came in, or the Migration Restriction Act of 1901. We had a thriving Chinatown with new herbal medicines, new approaches to eating. Within 10 years, it was an economic downturn Victoria had that it never realised it could have. You want an economic downturn, stop migrants and refugees coming in. The first thing a refugee wants is to buy white goods, a car, a house. I mean, if you go out to the outer, outer suburbs of Melbourne, it's not white Anglo people buying new housing. Uh, you know, the universities are not full of white Anglo people anymore. I mean, as George Magalhães would say, you know, you know, by the third stage, you're cocky and connected. And by the third, I mean, you've a greater chance of finding a, someone who's now a lawyer or a doctor of Vietnamese background than of long-term intergenerational Anglo background. So these are the realities. And my problem is that my people, migrants or people of migrant background like me, second, third generation, also have these anti-refugee attitudes. So it's not just racism and bigotry. It's the in-out group. And that's what the government is doing. It's creating an in-and-out group. You're in, you're cool, you're out, you're not. And I think this is the critical issue, which, which, which this film does. To, to, it's the humanity of it to say, there's no in-out group. You stop them, you suffer. You're suffering now. If you have these views about refugees, you're actually suffering something. You're, you're, not, no, you're not happy about something, and it's not the refugees you should be worried about, you know? Uh, look, thanks for everyone uh, giving up their Sunday afternoon to uh, see this film and, and listen to our excellent thank panel. You um, yes, let's, go, guys. Let's please thank the panel. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much. Let's keep in touch. And in terms of the film that Michael mentioned earlier, uh, Choka, please tell us the time. Uh, it will be screening here on June 16, 17 and 18. Uh, Beru's Bochani, who we heard in voiceover in the trailer we saw uh, for the uh, Beyond the Wire um, exhibition. Uh, he, of course, is still on Manus Island. He's been there for four years. Uh, his co-director, the Iranian-born uh, Dutch-based co-director, uh, Arash, will actually be here. He'll be here at the Sydney... F He's coming for the Sydney Film Festival, but he'll be joining us here in Melbourne for the three screenings. And we're hoping to get Baruz on the line uh, as part of one of those Q&As. So if you're interested, uh, just uh, stay across media outlets, check our website, and as we have more details, we'll, we'll update the website. Okay, thank you for coming. You have been listening to an ACME podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website.